0: Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Well, we are just a few days away from the NFL draft, and we've got you covered here at Bleeding Green Nation and BGN Radio. Lots of great podcasts to get you ready for this. I know you're all drowning in mock drafts by this point. Not going to give you one of those, but we are going to talk about the draft here on this episode of the podcast, and we're also going to talk about some big news within the NFC East. You know, we keep our eyes on the enemy here on this podcast and big news coming out of the nation's capital as it looks as though Dan Snyder is selling the Washington Commanders. So we are going to talk to an analyst for Hogshaven coming up in just a few minutes about what that means for the fan base there. And then I'll also get his thoughts on the draft, what the Commanders might do, what some of the other teams in the NFC East might do as well. And then I will tell you what I think the Eagles' five biggest needs are heading into this draft, and then I'll give you some Eagles draft predictions at the end of this podcast, so lots to get to here on Eye on the Enemy this week. But I do want to start off uh, looking at what's going on down in Washington, D.C., which is, of course, where I am based out of. I live in Northern Virginia, work in Washington, D.C., and obviously the sale of the Commanders. Big news here as Josh Harris, of course, there's a Philadelphia connection, owner of the 76ers as well as uh, the New Jersey Devils, has agreed in principle to buy his third major sports team. I think he actually, maybe his fourth uh, uh, sports team. I think he owns a, I don't I don't. I don't know, but, what, what, with Josh Harris, everything Josh Harris owns. But anyway, this, he's got an NBA team, an NHL team, and now it looks like he's going to own an NFL team. And he's, they're all paying a pretty penny for the Washington commanders. Dan Snyder is selling for a $6 billion payday. Now this agreement comes as the NFL is continuing its investigations into sexual harassment made against Snyder and team officials. And, uh, you've, you've got Fan base, a fan base that is livid with Snyder over their inability to get a new stadium, uh, the and and for the the lackluster play of the Commanders since Dan Snyder took over, uh, it sounds as though this is kind of a forced sale. none of the owners actually came out and said it, but I think it just became clear to everyone in ownership. And it takes a lot. It takes a lot for NFL owners to push one of their own out. But that's what it sounds like is happening here. If you read between the lines and you just look at reality, that's what this is. No one should be fooled like Dan Snyder just decided, oh, now's a good time to sell. I mean, $6 billion, that's certainly enough to get you talking. But he could get that now. He could get that next year. He could get that two years from now. I mean, if you can get $6 billion for a franchise as more abound as the Commanders have been, you could do that anytime. The Commanders are at a low ebb. And it's been a long time since they were since they were riding high. Probably the highest that they ever rode during Dan Snyder's tenure was when RG3 was having his outstanding rookie season, and it looked like they'd found their franchise quarterback. And sometimes in the course of a franchise's history, injuries, bad luck, terrible circumstances, the death of Sean Taylor being one of them as well, can take a team out. And that's what happened with the Commanders. And Dan, Dan Snyder had some bad luck, but also... If you if you would like to get a really good synopsis of the Dan Snyder timeline, I would highly recommend you checking out my good friend Liz Rocher's article for Yahoo Sports, where she she did a full TikTok from the beginning of Dan Snyder's tenure in 1999 when he bought the team for eight hundred million dollars all the way until now, every single point on the Dan Snyder timeline is in this story. It's it's a fantastic read. Uh, go check out Liz's story at Liz Rocher. It's it's a phenomenal read. She did an outstanding job putting it together. Uh, if you want to get a, a, a true synopsis of everything that's been going on with the commanders since Daniel Snyder took over. Uh, as for the sale, Harris's group involves uh, also includes uh, somebody named Mitchell Rails, who is a billionaire here from the D.C. area. Um, and then there's another group of limited partners that includes Magic Johnson. So... It's not official yet, but the reporting in by Adam Schefter and uh, NFL.com is that th- an agreement is in place. And once a deal is submitted, uh, it's going to take three quarters of the other 31 team owners to approve it. Uh, the next time they're going to meet in person is next month, May 22nd and 23rd in, in, in Minneapolis. So that is likely when a, a sale would be official. Now, again, this is a record. $6 billion would be a record for, a, for an NFL franchise and for a sports franchise. Uh, it'll top the, the record set by the Walton family, who are the founders of Walmart, last June when they bought the Broncos for $4.65 billion dollars. And that number was twice as high as the previous record high for an NFL team. So we're just reaching into the stratosphere here. I wonder what Jeff Lurie could get for the Eagles. (laughs) I can't imagine Jeff Lurie ever selling. I think he enjoys it too much. The team's so successful. I mean, it's, it's, why, why would you, why would you? But $6 billion is a chunk of change. And if you look at the numbers of Dan Snyder since taking over as the owner of the play on the field, it's, it's staggering how inept the commanders have become. Since taking over in 1999, the commanders went to the playoffs in Dan Snyder's first year and actually won a playoff game. But they've only been to the playoffs six times in 24 seasons. In 18 of the 24 seasons since Daniel Snyder took over as owner, the commanders have missed the playoffs. They have two postseason wins. Since Daniel Snyder took over both in the wild card round, the last playoff victory was following the 2005 season when Joe Gibbs was the head coach his second time around. It was against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you want to hear the starting quarterbacks for that playoff game? Mark Brunel versus Chris Sims. <laughs> it was a 17- to10 win by the, by, the, by the then Redskins. Um, not a lot of offense in that game. And then, the, and then Washington ended up losing the following weekend um, to the Seattle Seahawks and, uh, and Matt Hasselbeck. Uh, by comparison, the Eagles have gone to the playoffs 15 times in 24 seasons. The Commanders 6, the Eagles 15 times in 24 seasons. And the Eagles have won 17 playoff games compared to the Commanders 2 playoff games over the last two dozen seasons, 24 seasons since Daniel Snyder took over. So uh, just just a staggering record of failure by a once great organization. No matter what, no matter what you want to say about Washington during, during the the heyday of the, the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, Washington was a marquee franchise, marquee franchise. I mean, you had the Dallas Cowboys, and then there was another tier underneath that. Washington was one of them, one of the most recognizable brands in sports in the world and now they have completely fallen apart. So it's not great news for Eagles fans because as long as Daniel Snyder was the owner of the Commanders you could feel reasonably sure that something would go wrong. Ron Rivera has helped stabilize things a little bit on the field, but there I think you st- and I think you still see the problem with this team has been not being able to find a starting quarterback. And I'm going to I'm going to talk to our guest Jamal here in just a second about this because the issue a lot of these issues still remain and they're not going to go away right away but things will get better because it can't get any worse it can't it can't continue along its current trajectory cuz I just don't think anybody wanted to go work for Dan Snyder who was any good at anything so we'll see how this evolves over the next few years but it's big news inside the NFC East and it's not great news for Eagles fans but of course they're not going to be able to turn the Titanic around in a year or two years. It's going to take some time. It's going to take finding a franchise quarterback. And um, that's, th- that's some of the stuff I want to get into uh, with our next guest. Joining me to help talk about the draft a little bit and uh, what the commanders need, but more specifically, just to talk about commanders fans, re, you know how, they're, how they might be feeling about the, the sale of uh, the, the Daniel Snyder selling the team uh, to uh, to another group of people and uh, maybe getting out from under the thumb of the Snyder regime. Jamal Forrest, analyst for Hogs Haven, follow him on Twitter at LetMallTellIt. Jamal Tell It. Jamal, thanks for coming back on Eye on the Enemy, buddy. How you doing?
1: i'm well man i appreciate you uh appreciate the invite back i I, i'm looking forward to the conversation but like you mentioned uh dan is we're officially at the one yard line let's put it that way we're (laughs) officially at the one yard line and i couldn't be more uh excited and and maybe even like i guess uh anxious at the same time because um this is a new beginning in, in a positive way but it's like Oh man, like what's next? Like I'm, right. I'm excited to see what's next, man.
0: Right. I mean, I think it's not going to and I was just mentioning before you came on that you can't turn this ship around on a dime. It's it's still going to take some time, but as an Eagles Absolutely. fan, there's always some level of comfort knowing the Commanders are owned by Daniel Snyder and something usually goes wrong. And even just I don't know how much the the noise around the team with lawsuits and district attorneys and all this other kind of stuff affects the players and how they play, but Having a dysfunctional organization is certainly going to affect the product on the field. So as an Eagles fan, we've always been able to kind of rely since 1999 on that dysfunction. And just reading some of the, I gave some numbers a second ago about the commanders, six playoff appearances in 24 seasons, two playoff wins. and compare the six playoff appearances to 15 playoff appearances for the Eagles and 17 playoff wins over the same amount of time that Daniel Snyder has been there. Uh, it's just it's staggering how far the commanders and the Washington organization has fallen. So I live in the Northern Virginia area like I'm I'm kind of well versed on, on how the fan base is feeling. But just as a fan of the team and someone who who covers the team for Ho- for Haven, like you said, on the one yard line, at what point do you exhale? Is it like when it finally goes through and, and you can kind of see the better days ahead?
1: That's actually a really good question. And I guess I'll start it from my personal perspective because I said this maybe yesterday. Um, I don't, I really don't, I'm nervous. And and I mentioned anxious and and excited in a sense, but I'm also nervous. And and, and the reason why I'm nervous is a lot to do with, with Dan Snyder. Like I, I know what he's done to the fan base over his 20 plus years of, of owning the team. And, um, It's it's like somebody who is just or or some a situation where you're just constantly getting badgered and 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 beaten down to the point where it's like, oh, my goodness, I can't take enough. Um, I'm going to, for example, I'm going to leave this team altogether i'm going to, to to find another team to root for or i'm going i'm done with washington i'm going to just enjoy the nfl or enjoy college football or enjoy both or um oh my goodness i i can't stand this team uh but i'm just going to step away from football altogether and maybe i'll come back if if dan snyder i mean if dan snyder is gone and for me i'm i'm in the boat uh because there are there are several boats um, i'm in the boat of like I still follow the team. I'm still a fan of the team. And, and I, and I know personally when the games are, when the stakes are at its highest and Washington has something to play for, I'm going to be there, mm-hmm. but I don't know what it's going to be like when, um, they're actually playing for something meaningful. And I don't know if that excitement that, that Dan Snyder robbed from me I don't know if it'll come back. I don't know if it'll hmm. ever come back to the point of, of what it once was when I was a kid and and I was yelling at the TV screen and I was jumping yeah. for joy in, in in the room and 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 I was mad at my dad <laughs> when when we <laughs> lost because he's asking me to take out the trash. I'm like, man, I, we just lost. I don't want to take out the trash. Like, I'm I'm yeah. thinking of all these things, like the moments where I knew I was so emotionally invested into the team to the point where um, I really had like these visual expressions of happy or sad or elated or joyful and, and all those things so when you ask the question of like how does it feel knowing you know like when do you exhale um technically speaking you can begin to exhale now because like there's only a couple other things left obviously they have to get approved by the NFL the, the owners obviously Josh Harris uh, ownership group is uh, they they've uh pre- preliminary i guess uh got the 6 the 6 billion that Dan, Dan asked for, um, mm-hmm. and they have to get proved by the, the league altogether, everybody that's involved. Um, but like, you know, that we're right here. So you can begin to exhale just a matter of time of, of when Dan Snyder is officially gone and moved over to London. But for me personally, and I'm not the only one who feels like this in, in the, the spectrum, uh, or the Washington commander spectrum, you just don't know if you're ever going to get that joy back. Like it's, it's, it's been so long since Dan has been around and obviously, uh, when you hear about the things that it took for him to even get to this point, obviously with the the, the sexual harassment in the workplace, uh, the misogynistic statements and and things like that, to to really kick the ball off with with everything that's that that came to follow, um, now you're like uh, you're happy he's gone, but uh, you just know he did so much damage on the people in this area, and it's sad, and 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 it, and it sucks to say that I, I'm probably. Uh, if I have to really be objective, I was probably a, a victim of that as well.
0: Yeah, I know there's a lot of Washington fans that left and went to go root for other teams, uh, the Ravens, uh, you know, whoever else it might be. And I think there's a little bit of animosity that I've seen online anyway from people who are still Commander's fans telling people, yeah, just don't come back. <laughs> you know, it's a little yeah. bit of – I mean, because you, it does – for the people who stayed and for the people who continue to be diehards – there it's It's been a rough slog i mean i, yeah. I it, as Eagles fans of a certain age went through something similar in the late sixties seventies and and early eighties where there was about two decades of horrific futility and but it but people did come back, and I think what what will bring people back who who maybe got tuned out and maybe this will happen to you as well? You get yourself a franchise quarterback and you get yourself you know one of those seasons where things go right and you win a playoff game or two, you know, you get that first taste of success and then everybody comes back and there just hasn't been a lot of hope. I mean, the only hope this team had during Daniel Snyder's run was RG three. And that got snuffed out so quickly because hope is centered around a quarterback. And I guess that's my, that's my next question for you is with Washington and moving forward and, and trying to get some of that hope together, they're coming off a 500 season where they were competitive, but you know, did not make the playoffs once again. How do you get that hope? Is there how do you get a quarterback where with where the commanders are? You're not bad enough so that you're picking super early in the draft, but you also don't want to go out there. You're trying to rebuild. You can't really go out there and, and, and trade for a Lamar Jackson or something like that. Or maybe you can. I don't know.
1: I mean, excellent statements, excellent points. Um, I am in the I, I think when it comes to like you mentioned, hope it is is one thing where you know, that's what we have left now. And and when you transition from from uh, Dan Schneider to a new ownership, uh, now the focus is on Ron Rivera, right? Now the focus is on the team and uh, football moves and football decisions. And obviously it's going to take some time uh, in the immediate aftermath of, of Schneider moving on to, to really get to know the new owners and, and things like that. But when it comes to football, uh, you have to understand what you're going to do at this quarterback spot. You have to understand how this team is going to perform. And I think the good thing that Washington, like one of the best moves that they did you mentioned Lamar Jackson right and I I think that that is uh I I don't disagree I see the I see the point of people trying to go Lamar Jackson like I I get it and and me myself like I I wouldn't mind it personally but at the same time if I had my preference uh I I would rather I think it's a sound decision to move forward with Sam Howe uh for one year and, and not like risk financial uh financial i guess crisis for lack of a better term like and 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 putting yourself in in a big hole for future years to come albeit we're talking about a a lamar jackson who is undoubtedly a top 10 quarterback in the nfl right but when you go back to the overall point and just understanding uh where you are at quarterback uh, and where you are with the the football team all together um sam is just somebody where you're saying or even the quarterback position like it's just somebody where you're saying look give me a guy where we're all on the same page it's not a it's not a debate in terms of uh I want Kirk Cousins over RG3 or RG3 needs to be starting over Kirk Cousins. I don't need to know about Dwayne Haskins and Case Keenum. Like I don't need to be fighting about, you know, who this younger guy is. And I don't care if he's ready or not, put him out there. Like from a fan base standpoint. I don't, yeah. I don't care what, I don't care what's going on, why Case Keenum is is playing. He's old, put in a young guy. I don't need to worry about uh Alex Smith uh in in terms of like the the amount of assets you give up to trade for a veteran like no more ryan fitzpatrick's none of that give me somebody where we can all be on the same page and i think that's where that whole builds from obviously but it also builds from somebody being able to like come in there and showcase within their first few games that i can get this done here are my strengths and here's what we can build on moving forward like i mentioned um as well like one of the best things that they did this offseason um was outside of um really actually to be honest with you it was eric b enemy uh like that was kind of the, the best thing that they made because you can't really get like you solidifying the offensive line is one thing in terms of like plugging in the holes and making sure that you uh you have the stop gaps in place like that was one important thing because the offensive line was terrible last year and it was a surprise to everybody including the coaching staff like mm-hmm. the way that they built that roster uh <laughs> was was terrible and yeah. and and like they really believed that some of their older guys that they knew from Carolina could come in and do the same things they did like four or five, six years ago. And that hmm. was that was a a terrible thought. So getting Eric Bieniemy in here, uh, having somebody who has more experience as a play caller, who has more experience uh, coaching under Andy Reid, right, um, instead of a Scott Turner who really didn't have that OC experience and and, and probably was here two years too long. Um, he could have been gone after his first season, uh, but it shouldn't have really been here at all. In, in hindsight, like he shouldn't have been here at all in terms of uh, offensive coordinator. So like having Eric Bieniemy was the big hire, was the big move, was the big offseason acquisition. And and I think that should be the more, most important thing uh, when you think about the commanders this year is how does how do we stabilize the offense and how do we generate more uh more points? How are we more efficient on the offensive side of the football? I think it starts with Eric Bieniemy, And now you wonder. About that quarterback spot. Can Eric be for one season, at least one season, make Sam Howe bring that hope uh, out of everybody who was once uh, a Commanders fan and, and, and even drive the people who are Commanders fans to filling in that stadium and being as supportive they, as they can be of a new product, knowing that Dan Snyder can't mess anything up?
0: I got to say, I keep forgetting that Eric Bieniemy joined Washington staff and it is inconceivable to me that he's not a head coach someplace right now. Yeah. It's, it's really bonkers. I, I can't, it just, it's beyond me, but at the same time, it's a good, it's a good problem for the commanders to have. I mean, like you said, he may only be there one year. If he can turn Sam Howell into, into something, then he sur- I got to believe he's going to get a head coaching job in, at some point. I mean, I, That's I, I, I get, but it's just, it's crazy to me, but you know, I think that with at least with a guy like Sam Howell, there there's the hope of a, you know, a young quarterback that maybe something something else is there. Um and so as this as the commanders look to the draft, they're they're obviously not in a position where they can grab a quarterback in the first round unless something truly bizarre happens. But as the commanders enter this draft, what outside of quarterback, what are their needs? What What do you think they're looking for here in the first round? And I know drafting for need in the first round is not necessarily the brightest way to do things, but it's not in a vacuum either. So what What do you think Washington is looking at with their first round pick? Uh, remind me where they select. I think it's what, 16. 16,
1: 16. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, yep. good. Um, yeah. So me, I, I think. Actually, to be honest with you, I think it's a consensus. Consensus, excuse me. Um, offensive line and, and cornerback are are the top two uh, in terms of first round. Um, there has been some mix uh, for some other positions, but I'll start with the two biggest ones. Um, Washington losing, uh, obviously losing out on William Jackson in third, or missing, or, or whiffing. Excuse me, altogether on, on William Jackson in third uh, creates a hole. And also, when you don't have, I mean, obviously. When you have Benjamin St. Juice who, who stepped up in his place, uh, that's a that's a real uh godsend in a sense, and in, in the way he's been able to play, he just has to stay healthy on the field. But obviously, you have other situations on the cornerback spot as well, with Kendall Fuller uh kind of getting up there in age in a sense, and, and he's not the same athletic corner that he used to be. Um, he's still very smart, very cerebral, he processes things well. Uh, but like on the outside you can do much better right you can you can get that younger athlete you can get that more physical guy somebody who can travel a little bit uh, if you want somebody to travel just have some versatility all together between all three cornerbacks meaning uh Benjamin St. Juice uh the third year player going into his third year uh Kendall Fuller and then insert rookie quarter cornerback um and and who knows who's going to be there um Devin Witherspoon has been mocked to Washington a lot um there has been Uh, Some talks of Deontay Banks and and Joey Porter Jr. as well. They're being mocked to Washington as well. Uh, They all provide different traits, I think, uh, from what I understand and conversations that I've had, um, because this isn't really been a position uh, that I've looked into in terms of evaluations. I haven't looked into the cornerbacks altogether, so I am relying on some people I know. But uh, uh, Devin Witherspoon is probably the the number one ideal guy for Washington to select if he's available at 16. Um, Some people don't see him going at 16. Some people think that there's a a slight percent chance I'm in the Joey Porter jr. Who I understand is more of a physical outside corner primarily, uh, and and maybe even exclusively. Um, he is the the physical press corner guy. Um, and, and that's kind of somebody that, uh, for Washington, uh, if you're looking at some versatility, like Washington didn't play a lot of press coverage last year. And they generally don't play a lot of press coverage under, um, uh, 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 Jack Del Rio. So, when you think of it from that standpoint and his best ability, which isn't a knock is more mm. so like, where do you rank him in terms of uh positional need and, 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 and player ranking and, and he may not be up there, but then you have Deontay banks as well. Who's been a mention. He's the more athletic and in, in cornerback with the most upside of that spot. So um, you kind of consider what he can bring to your team. And again, when we talk about versatility, he can bring that as well as, um Deon, uh, excuse me Devin Witherspoon from Illinois so uh cornerback is is one thing in an offensive line it's probably where I spend most of my time mm-hmm. um tackles and interior spending uh the the guard spots excuse me um I'm looking at Peter Skaronski, and I know he's probably he's been mocked uh top 10 top 12 mm-hmm. uh and then you have uh Osiris Torrance Anton Harrison Osiris Torrance is interior offensive line uh, Anton Harrison, left tackle. Uh, same thing with Broderick Jones. Um, I'm a fan of Peter Skaronsky. And I'm a fan of Osiris Torrance. Mainly those two. Um, and, and what Skaronsky does, like, I, I love his technique. I love how technically technically sound he is in comparison to some of the other tackles. Um, and, and I'm I'm really uh, positive and confident in the fact that he can. Uh, why he doesn't have the the best arm length, um, and mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the biggest concern for why they're they're saying he needs to be uh moved inside the guard, I think that he can play tackle just fine. Um uh, but and especially for Washington, if Washington does happen to select him at 16, uh his hand usage is, is really good. Uh he, he knows how to how to fight with his hands. He knows how to use them uh both in uh in the run game and the pass game. You you can trust him in that aspect. Um and then there's some other people like Osiris Torrance, same thing. He's a he's a strong mauler and, and I love that for for Washington and the fact that he knows how to play the guard position he has the arm lift and he has the the, the grip strength and, and and very good play strength and when you have those type of things from the interior and, and obviously his footwork is pretty good too but when you have that in your interior especially with a left guard spot that's kind of vacant for Washington um right now they're thinking about having a, a three-person competition <laughs> uh, yeah. with, with um uh Chris Paul who's going into his second year Sadiq Charles who has been here for about three or four years now but is uh generally struggled to really make a name for himself in terms of a starter. Like he's had his opportunities, it, it hasn't really went well. I mean, then you have Andrew Norwell, one of the Carolina guys that I mentioned earlier, uh, with that offensive line. Um, Andrew Norwell, who's aging a little bit, and uh, he wasn't terrible, but at the same time, it's like if if I can get a Osiris Torrance, and and as opposed to worrying about which three left guards we're going to put out there to battle. I'm just drafting Osiris Torrance and I'm saying I like my, I like my chances with him. And I like the fact that I like what he brings over any of the ones that we currently have. Um, So those are my main two. Um, I, I'll stop there because I, like Broderick Jones, um, I think he's okay, but I also think that uh I don't really trust him like to select yeah. him at 16 in the first round. Um, there are some things that I have issues with. Um, And, and I think Anton Harrison is in the same boat. I wouldn't take him at 16, um, I, I would consider them towards the back end of the draft if they trade back. But I'm not taking neither one of those guys at 16. Mm-hmm. But Osiris Torrance, Peter Skoronski I'm there for them.
0: So I think this is very helpful and illustrative for Eagles fans because my one of my I'm going to get to my uh, predictions at the end of the of the podcast here for what I think the Eagles are going to do. But I'll tell you right now, one of the things I think they're going to do is trade out of number 10. And I think they're going to drop back into the teens area, the mid teens, late teens mm. to get up to get some extra picks because they go from they go from the third round. They got four picks in the top 100 and they don't they don't pick in rounds four five or six. So that's a long time that is a yeah. desert of inactivity and so my my thinking is howie roseman is going to want to be a little active during that part of the draft and uh, it wouldn't I don't think there's a guy at ten that outside of Jalen Carter that they would love and would be as perfect a fit as maybe Carter would be. So all these guys that you mentioned in a lot of these different positions are guys that I think the Eagles could also be looking at if they trade back. And if they trade back, I'm thinking it's in one of these areas. Maybe one of the four quarterbacks is still sitting there at number 10 and there's a team that wants to jump up and grab it or something like that. Let me ask you this. let's Let's say one of the four quarterbacks is sitting there at number 10. With the commander sitting there at 16, could you envision a scenario where they try to move up and grab one of the quarterbacks?
1: Uh, It's interesting because you use Philly's spot. Um, I don't think it would really bother them in the grand scheme of things if if Philly was the the ultimate, like the trade point where like we got to move up. I don't think it would bother them. However, no, and um, it, wouldn't,
0: it wouldn't bother the Eagles either. The Eagles yeah, would, and Cowboys have made a number of, dra- of draft day trades and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't. I don't think it would truly bother them. Um, and I think that was probably like the fan uh, side in me saying that. Uh, but but ultimately, um, it has to be. It has to be worth it. And, and what I mean by that is um, this this whole season, uh, it, it, it's not as linear as previous off seasons in a sense if that if that makes sense at all john and, and what i mean by that is like of course we just talked about ownership to start this uh interview in this conversation but at the same time uh ron rivera's in a spot where he has to win now and trading up for the right quarterback obviously will always make sense if you believe that's the right quarterback and from your evaluations as a front front office or or gm like from a scouting standpoint if, if you feel like that's the right guy go for it Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because quarterback is the ultimate, is the most ultimate spot. But if it isn't, you need to make sure that whoever you have back there um currently in Jacoby Brissett or Sam Howe, you need to make sure that these guys are in the best position to win. And you need to make sure that your defense is in the best position to, to be successful on that side of the ball as well. So uh you have to understand like the risk and and, and reward that that goes with it. And what I mean by that is like if if let's say I don't think CJ. I don't think CJ Stroud is going to make it that far. I don't think Bryce Young is going to make it that far. Like those are the obvious things. So that leaves yeah. Will Levis. That leaves Anthony Richardson. We can eliminate. <laughs> we can eliminate <laughs> Will Levis. I, John, I, I swear, I promise you. If if they trade up for Will Levis, like I, I don't care who the new owner is, I'm gonna just go ahead and pack it up. Pack yeah. It up. <laughs> but Anthony Richardson would be worth the conversation because you're like, what at at this point. Mm-hmm. do you think that anthony richardson is a game changer and, and, and i'm not saying that i will make the trade but i think it's worth them discussing like is he worth is he the game changer does he have the potential uh the ceiling um to to really like change this franchise and if i believe mm-hmm. meaning that the evaluator if i believe that he can get this done then let's go ahead and talk to philly and see what they're asking for um outside of that and clearly like i'm saying outside of anthony richardson um making it in a close proximity for them to trade up. I don't see them trading up for a quarterback. Um, and personally speaking, maybe I can see them trading up for the cornerback spot that we talked about, because Devin may not be there at 16. Uh, and then the same thing, Christian Gonzalez may not be there at 16 either. And um, and and maybe even the other two, depending on how the flow of the first round goes. So I can see them trading up uh if it makes sense within the first couple, the first few picks in front of them, um, uh, but it may not be for quarterback
0: interesting stuff as we get ready uh for for the draft we again just a, a few days away as uh, we are recording this so friends make sure you're checking out everything jamal Forrest is doing over at hogshaven by going over to hogshaven.com and follow him on the twitter machine you'll get everything he's doing there at let Maul tell it jamal thanks for coming back on eye on the enemy buddy i really appreciate it appreciate it
1: man anytime john take care
0: All right, well, let's jump into what I think are the five biggest needs for the Eagles as they head into the draft. Now, this list I'm about to give you is not the order in which I think they should draft certain players because from where the Eagles stand, there are... Certain positions in which you're going to take the best player available. Now, you're not going to take the best player available if he's a wide receiver at this point. You know, if you're picking a number 10 and, you know, maybe the number one or number two wide receiver is still on the board. Given what the Eagles have, you're probably not doing that. So uh, what this ranking is not to say I think this is where the Eagles need to focus in the draft. But these are the five positions where I think the Eagles really need to um, still figure something out between now and the start of the regular season. And maybe they use the draft to fill some of these different holes, and I'm sure they will. Maybe not for 2023, although I do think they need to have one of these first-round picks or one of these first- and second-round picks actually make a contribution here in 2023. But we know that the Eagles are always thinking three, four, five years down the line. And last The guys from the last draft redshirted, essentially, last year. So it wouldn't be surprising to me if most of these 2023 draft picks end up doing the same thing here in the 23 season. So this list I'm about to give you is not a list of what I think Howie would or should do on draft night. It's simply a laundry list of the positions at which I think the Eagles are the weakest heading into the season and heading into this draft. I'm going to start off with number five, and I'm going to talk about edge rushers here. May sound crazy when you're talking about a team that almost set the NFL single-season sack record. While I think Hassan Reddick is a stud, I think he's not going to pile up 16 sacks again. But he is a proven force on the edge, and I think Josh Sweat showed you that he's a, a perennial pro bowler with 11 sacks last year. Some of them very impactful, and he was consistent throughout the season. And then you've got Brandon Graham returning as well. He also had 11 sacks, and combined, those three players got 38 sacks. That's a ridiculous number for a trio of edge rushers. All three are back this season, and that is very, very good. But Brandon Graham is probably on the on the last year of whatever deal he's going to play in Philadelphia. This this is probably his last year. That's my guess. Maybe not, but the days of a of a Brandon Graham double-digit sack season this was his first one ever. So I don't again don't think you can you can necessarily count on that. I think you still need a good fourth edge rusher and somebody that you can move in to the rotation as the number three guy starting in 2024. Derek Barnett will presumably return from injury this year, but I don't know that anybody should be expecting a major contribution from him, and I'm not even sure he makes the 23 Eagles. Graham's now 35. I think the edge rushing room needs some reinforcements. This is not an urgent need, but I do think it is important. So wouldn't it wouldn't at all surprise me if the Eagles spend a second round pick or a third round pick on an edge rusher to kind of give them that fourth guy, somebody that they think that they can groom into becoming the number three guy uh, playing along with Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat in 2024 and someone who can make an impact on passing downs here in 2023 and maybe a run stopping edge rusher too. That could be well, not a, anyways, kind of in the mold of Brandon Graham. Like an edge rusher, by their definition, is somebody who's rushing the quarterback. But Brandon Graham also plays the run really well. And if you're getting a guy who maybe is not quite as polished as as an edge rusher, but gives you something stopping the run on the edge, I think that's something that could be of need for the Eagles here as well. The number four position that I think they are most in need of is offensive line. Again, sounds crazy when you're talking about Jordan Mailata, Landon, Dicker, Landon Dickerson, Jason Kelsey, and Lane Johnson on perhaps the best offensive line in the NFL. I do think there's a question what they do at right guard. We've all been assuming that Cam Jurgens would just slide in there, but he doesn't. physically speaking, he, he really fits more as the athletic center replacement for Jason Kelsey. Can Cam Jurgens hang in there at right guard? Maybe, but he's not a huge monster like Landon Dickerson is. And so he's not a big guy. He's not as big as Isaac Samalo was. So I don't know that the Eagles are anxious to just jam him in there. And could you enter the season with Jack Driscoll as your starting right guard? Yes, you, you probably could. But in addition to finding a right guard, and if it is Cam Jurgens, then great. Your depth takes a hit at that point. Samalo's departure and the departure of Andre Dillard as he goes to the Tennessee Titans. That affects your depth. So you, you do still have Jack Driscoll and Sua Opeta remaining as backups, but seeing as how 2023 will likely be Kelsey's final season as the center. And Jurgens is certainly going to move into that role. Whenever Jason Kelsey steps away, it's going to leave a hole at right guard for 2024. And Lane Johnson is entering his age 33 season. How many years does he have left Two, three seasons, maybe? So you need to start thinking about this, about this spot on the offensive line. Again, like edge rusher, not an immediate need, but, The Eagles are always thinking two years down the line, three years down the line, and it would not at all surprise me if there is a stud offensive tackle sitting there at number 10. Maybe the Eagles can step back a pick or two and get some extra draft picks in the third and fourth round in order to do it. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if they spend a first round pick on an offensive tackle that they think can step in for Lane Johnson in a year or two. Number three, defensive tackle. The loss of Javon Hargrave and his 11 sacks from the line's interior. That's, it's easy to quantify that. You're not going to get that back. You're, they're going to miss him terribly in passing downs. Can Milton Williams improve and pick up some of those sacks? Yes, I think he can. I'm very curious about Jordan Davis. He's probably the guy, along with N'Kobe Dean, and I'm going to talk about linebacker in a second, that I'm most interested in watching play. This summer in training camp and in the fake games once they get started and we're not going to see a lot of the starters in those games, but we need to get a good look at what Jordan Davis and Milton Williams are going to do at the defensive tackle spot because you just can't rely on Fletcher Cox to be an impact player. He got some sacks last year and he was certainly improved last season, but he's not a guy you want start you want playing more than 30 to 35 percent of the snaps. You need Jordan Davis and you need Milton Williams to not only do their do the job against the run, which I think we're more confident in Davis's ability to stop the run at defensive tackle than we are for him to get into the backfield and sack the quarterback and get quarterback hurries and hits and all that. So I think if the dream here is Jalen Carter. Again, assuming, and this is what everybody says, assuming you're comfortable with the off-field stuff, and I have no way of knowing any of that kind of stuff, looking at him as a player, if he's there at 10, grab him. And you worry about getting more fourth-round picks and fifth-round picks by trading out of 30 or you know, moving down in the second round or something like that. But after Jordan Davis, Milton Williams, and Fletcher Cox, you have the, the, the guy they just signed as a free agent this offseason, Kentavious Street, as your number four. Again... This is one of those one-year, cheap contract, buy low, hope that maybe there's something else there. But again, I would not be at all surprised if a guy like Street is someone who doesn't even make it onto the team's final roster by the start of the regular season. And then you have Marlon Teopilotu as defensive tackles 4 and 5 on the depth chart. This is a need. I think they need to get another pass rusher at defensive tackle because you can't be for sure that Jordan Davis and Milton Williams are going to be able to do that. And if you can get Jalen Carter into a mix with Jordan Davis and Milton Williams and Fletcher Cox, suddenly you've got a really strong defensive tackle rotation and it makes the edge rushers that much better too. It's not all on them to get to the quarterback. And that would be a big deal if they can pull that off here in the first round. But defensive tackle certainly I think is a need. I think it's the the third biggest need for this team as they enter this portion of the 2023 offseason. Number two, safety. The last two needs here are especially acute. With Chauncey Gardner-Johnson now in the Motor City, the Eagles enter the draft with undrafted second-year player Reed Blankenship and free agent acquisition Terrell Edmonds as the presumed starters. Justin Evans is a the guy they also picked up on a cheap one-year deal in free agency. Maybe he jumps ahead of uh, of Terrell Edmonds at some point here, but um, they join Kayvon Wallace as the backup. Uh, he joins Kayvon Wallace as a backup, but... This is a position devoid of a playmaker right now. And I realize he can't have pro bowlers at every spot. And I'm not expecting for Howie Roseman to jump at a safety with one of his early picks. It's also not a really strong position in this year's draft. Now, maybe they get somebody in the third round, somebody who, or somebody like a cornerback, who they feel would be a good candidate to convert to safety. That is certainly something Howie Roseman has done in the past, but it likely won't be someone you'd expect to start in 2023. I don't imagine that there's anybody that they're going to take with one of their first four picks that you would feel comfortable throwing into the mix as a starter. So I think that they're going to fill this position kind of like they did with CJGJ last year to get someone as a free agent after the draft. And we don't know who that person is, but we're seeing some guys get let go by teams here as the draft approaches. Maybe there'll be a safety who's available in trade on draft night that the team would be comfortable acquiring. But for right now, without a clear answer in terms of a draft pick or a free agent, it's a gaping hole. And the Eagles so far have decided to go out and sign a couple of guys on one-year deals and see what they have in training camp. And maybe Terrell Edmonds or Justin Evans will pop in training camp and you get yourself a starter, a surprise starter out of it. But I'm not, I'm not expecting that. And finally, the number one position for me is a position that I think the Eagles have ignored for too long, and that's linebacker. It's their weakest spot on the field as far as I'm concerned. Losing TJ Edwards, even though he wasn't a stud, that's a big loss. He is a viable starting middle linebacker in the NFL, a guy who always had the dot on his helmet, calling the plays and running the show defensively. He's now with the Bears, which leaves them with Nicobe Dean, who is a smart guy. He's a presumed starter in 2023, very athletic. I think everyone's excited to see what he can do, but he is an enormous question mark. The Eagles also brought in Nicholas Morrow from the Bears, essentially swapping Edwards out for him. I don't know if Morrow would be the inside backer or if he'd be the off-ball backer. I think Morrow could start if need be, but he's graded among the lowest linebackers in football over the last couple of seasons. That's not what you want as a starter. And then you've got Sean Bradley, Davion Taylor, Christian Ellis as backup. So I think linebacker is an extreme need for Sean Desai's defense. I really wish the Eagles would value this position more. We've seen how tough a defense can be when you have dynamic linebacker play, but sometimes that comes at the expense of having a dynamic set of cornerbacks out there. And that's where the Eagles are investing their money, edge rusher and cornerback because they can't throw as much money around at the defense. Now they do have some more cap space because they've moved some money around but it's not like last year when they could go out and get CJ GJ and not worry about it and uh, and, and get James Bradbury, pluck him like a little like a ripe grape off the vine and, and not worry about it. So um, there, there's a little bit more limitation to what the Eagles can do this time around. But um, again, I don't expect them to go out and get a stud linebacker here in the draft, although it certainly would please me if they spent a second-round pick on a linebacker that they feel can play and play significant snaps here in 2023. All right. As we wrap up this episode of the podcast, let me give you some of my predictions on what's going to happen here on draft night. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to mock specific players. I'm not going to go through all that. That is not my forte. So I'm not even going to try to fake it, but I think generally speaking, in terms of what the Eagles will do with their picks and what you can expect to get back and the just overall philosophy. Here's what I think is, is going to go down. I think first the Eagles, like I mentioned with Jamal a few minutes ago, I think that barring Jalen Carter sitting there at number 10, I think they're trading down out of number 10. And I think that's because they need to pick up more picks in rounds, you know, in, in the middle rounds. And maybe that gets them an extra second that they can swing for an extra fourth and fifth or an extra third they can get for an extra whatever it is. I think it's more I think it's far more likely they trade down out of number 10. And if you had to give me a percentage on what I think they would do, I think there's a 60% chance they trade down. I think there's a fifteen percent chance that they stay where they are. And then I'll say that there is another let's see, sixty and fifteen, that's 75, 25 percent. No, so let me, let me reverse that. Sixty percent chance they trade down. I'll say a twenty-five percent chance that they stay where they are. And so that's 85 and then 15% chance that they actually will trade up. And I'll I'll give you more thoughts on the trading up in just a second. But unless Jalen Carter is sitting there at number nine, I do not think the Eagles will use what little trade capital they have here in 2023 to move up a couple of spots from like 10 to eight. Maybe they can get away with moving up from 10 to nine. If they really, really want Jalen Carter and he's sitting there at number nine, you, you move up one spot and you probably have to give up, I mean, your your pick is at the end of the second round. You probably have to give up that second round pick to do it in order to make up for the difference. Do you want to do that when you have so few picks? When you only have six picks in this draft and you have nothing in rounds four, five, and six? I, I That's why I think normally Howie Roseman is a big trading up guy, but... I don't see it this time around. I think there's one guy they would trade up for, and that's Jalen Carter. Other than that, I don't see them desiring anyone heavily enough to go after them inside the top 10 any higher than they already are. I also think that a lot of the guys who they might be looking at at number 10 would be available at 12, 13, 14, something like that. You would get a comparable player in and around... 13 to 15 as you would at number 10 in a lot of cases. Again, except for Jalen Carter. And there's any number of positions that the Eagles could look to add to. I just just ran down five of them. So you could take the best player available at any of those five positions and call it a day. I wouldn't even mind if they move down to 14 or 15, if like the top wide receiver or the second best wide receiver is still on the board, I would consider taking that guy as long as it fits schematically with what the Eagles need. Understanding that any wide receiver you draft is going to be number four in target share outside of uh, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard. So I just don't see a scenario where it makes sense for the Eagles to move up in this draft, unlike previous drafts, where we know Howie Roseman has done that. So that's why I give that a 15% probability. I think it's way more likely the Eagles move down because I think the, player, the pool of players you would get from moving down, six or seven spots, that you would staying at number 10 is not is not all that dissimilar and frankly the value that you're going to get by adding more picks would be more than the difference in the player in that situation if you know what i mean so in order to make up the difference from moving from like 10 to 8 you you'd probably have to throw in a fourth round pick which the eagles don't have so it would have to be a, a second rounder next year Because next future year picks are not valued as highly as current year picks. So maybe you'd have to give up a second rounder next year or your third rounder this year. But the Eagles have so few picks between four and seven, I don't think they want to trade away from the few picks that they have. So I also don't think the Eagles will will, uh, draft Bijan Robinson. I love the idea. I love the idea of adding him to this offense. And if he's there at 30, or if he's there in the mid-20s, I could see maybe moving up a couple of spots to go get him if it's late in the first round. I don't think there's any way he falls that far. But I, and I think if he, it, let's say the Eagles trade back, and let's say they trade back with, to like 14 or 15, and Bijan Robinson is still sitting there. I think about it a little bit more then than I would at number 10. But you're also then looking at okay, are there tackles, offensive tackles, defensive tackles? Are there um, if, if there's is there like a stud linebacker sitting there at 15 to 7? you I would get a stud, a stud linebacker at 15 to 17 rather than a running back. If we're talking about positions, the Eagles never draft in the first round, and you're asking me to choose between Bijan Robinson or a stud linebacker, I might be taking the linebacker, given how little the Eagles have at that spot. Now the Eagles aren't loaded at running back. If I, as I was doing my my positional rundown a few minutes ago, running back would probably be at number six for me. But just because I think the Eagles can line up any number of people behind this offensive line and run the ball effectively, it's I don't think it's as big a need. I just don't see, it be, and for that reason, Bijan Robinson at ten doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Middle of the first round, if he's still sitting there and the Eagles have traded back, I'm more I'm more likely to do it. Certainly, if he's there at 30, I would do it. Absolutely. That's incredible value there. No matter what you think of spending a first— that's not even really a first-round pick at that point, sitting there at number 30. So I think the value at that point is, is worth it to take him at 30, or even if he's at 28 and you move up a couple of spots. I think the, the extra pick that you give up, maybe a 2024 pick in order to do that, would be worth it. So here's what I think will happen. I think the Eagles will trade back into the teens somewhere. I'm saying anywhere from like uh, 14 to 18 is, is, where I, is where I think the Eagles might go. And I think they're going to pick up another late second round pick or a third and a fourth rounder by moving back a few spots, say six, seven, eight spots in the draft. Uh, I'll say four to seven spots in the draft. And then I also think the Eagles will trade back from number 30 and pick up another third rounder or a fourth and a fifth rounder Something like that. As I was looking at the value chart, that's basically what that would be. If you're moving out of 30, you're moving into like the middle of the second round, that's essentially worth a third rounder, like a late late third rounder, or a fourth and a fifth or something like that. That gets you more bites at the apple in the middle rounds, which is something I think this team needs. They need young players who aren't going to cost a whole lot. If a quarterback, like uh, Jamal and I were just talking about, if a quarterback is sitting there at 10, even if it's Will Levis, I think you could potentially see a team calling the eagles and saying hey we w- we'd like to deal. And then maybe how he gets a 2024 first rounder out of it. Like if you're going to ch- if you're going to allow a team to move up into the top 10 and pick pe- and pick a franchise quarterback, you got to get a first rounder for that. Right? I mean, don't you have to get a first rounder for that in 2024? So I don't, I'm don't, i not predicting that that will happen, but I think that is something that that could happen, and if it does, that's what, what, I, what I predict the return would be. I predict the Eagles will not leave the first round without a defensive lineman. I predict that the Eagles will not leave the first four rounds of the draft without a potential starting right guard next year or an eventual Lane Johnson replacement at right tackle. I think they're going offensive line here early in this draft. I think the Eagles will not draft a cornerback in the first four rounds this year. Now, if they get a fourth round pick, fifth round pick, yes, I can see a cornerback there, but given where they currently are, I don't think, I don't think cornerback is a high priority next year. Yes. I think you're looking at cornerback, but I don't think they're looking at cornerback this year. Um, I think the Eagles will surprise us by drafting a linebacker in the third round because I think they really do need someone who can play there. And I think the Eagles will make seven picks this, this year, entering the draft with six picks and they're going to swap some of the picks. I think Howie Roseman going to trade a lot. I think he's going to trade a lot. I think it's going to be dizzying to try and follow what the Eagles are doing. Uh, during the course of the uh, of the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that this is all happening. Um, so we are going to have you covered on the NFL draft inside and out, and I am going to be on our BGN draft coverage on draft on open on the first round on draft night. So make sure that you're following BGN Radio on Twitter or our BGN Radio YouTube page uh, in order to catch the live stream of our coverage of the first round of the NFL draft because uh, I'll be on there along with a couple of other, uh, our outstanding uh, BGN hosts, and uh, we'll be giving you our analysis of whatever it is Howie roseman decides to do the number one gm in the nfl by the way according to tom pelisario uh of uh was it tom pelisario who who wrote that article no greg rosenthal uh, of nfl.com did his gm power rankings had Howie at number one so you've got the number one gm in football at the helm of the nfl draft this year uh by the way jerry jones came in at number 10 on his list and uh ron rivera martin mayhew at number 22 Uh, he said it was too soon to tell about joe shane uh, of the new york giants so uh, maybe next year we can get Joe Shane on that list somewhere and see where uh, where he is in the pecking order. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks to Jamal Forrest for joining me on the podcast once again, and uh, please check out BleedingGreenNation.com each and every day. Follow us on Twitter at BGN underscore radio, and if you're on Apple Podcasts, would you please give this show a rating and a review? Let me know what you think, and give all of our shows a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy. PGN.